Hello, and welcome to episode four of You Know I'm Right, the podcast. I'm Jessica. I'm Sharon. And I'm Dale. And that's my mom and dad. Every week we come together to discuss the hottest headlines, hottest news topics, and things going on around the world. It's two boomers, one millennial, two parents, one child, and we face off to see if we can find middle ground through educated debates. A couple rules that we have every week is we have to be able to cite our sources, say where they stay on the media bias scale, and as always, not get too heated. The whole purpose is to have constructive conversations about topics that we disagree on and see if we can come together. So today we're talking about one of the hottest topics in the U.S. at the moment, and that is the election and mail-in ballots. I'm going to go ahead and say that for me this week, this was a big challenge. Uh, Living in Germany, we have something called GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulations Act. And that means that a lot of sites available in the U.S. are not available to me because they don't protect data up to European regulations. So I can't access a lot of what I wanted to see. And I also was just finding a lot of opinion. Um, I found it very hard to kind of find facts. And I don't know if you guys are in the same boat, but I'm going to let you kind of kick this off. And I think, mom, let's start with you. Tell me a little bit, like, did you have trouble finding your information? And what are you thinking about mail-in ballots? Well, upon First of all, I want to say, excuse my raspy voice, I do have a head cold. Um, Upon preparing for this discussion, I did find that it was a little bit difficult because um, most information is for general public use. There's a lot of opinions out there and um, not a lot of information that I could pull from that would validate my feeling. Um, I argue that mail-in ballots are risky and that I think if you have the potential to go to the polls that it would be a mistake to not personally go and cast your ballot. Okay and I likewise did a lot of looking and reading, and most of it is opinion, but once you get through the emotional opinions, you can go online and find some facts, find some good information that's provided from government sites. I try to separate mail-in voting from absentee voting. There is a difference, and that needs to be you know, clearly focused upon mm-hmm. and also looking at the security of voting through the mail instead of in person. Once again, I go back to what is allowed for citizens and not just the population. And that's something that as we talk more can get into that and, and can cite the websites that I look, looked at and then go into opinions based on that. Okay. Well, a lot of my information comes uh, from YouTube videos like Vox, um, things like that this week, because I had to rely heavily 
it seemed to be that with what I could access without having a VPN, that these videos were my main hard information source. And, you know, I've always voted by mail. Granted, that was absentee voting. And I think what really trips me up about the mail and ballot situation is I feel like in the U.S., being a very powerful nation, um, we should have a backup already in place in case something happens. And we should have a stronger federal voting system and not a state by state system. And I am kind of confused as to why knowing that we're in a pandemic where certain people may not be able to get to the polls, why are we not looking for a better solution? So I'm also interested to see if you two have other solutions as we talk about this. So um, because I've always done absentee voting, I think that there is a place for mail-in voting, but I don't think that they have put enough care into preparing it to where it is a safe and effective option for us right now. And I, I don't understand why. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I, I just don't know about this. I, I really don't know. So if either of you guys want to kick it off anymore, tell me a little bit more about some of the facts that you found, what you think, support your ideas a little bit more. I'd love for you to get going and maybe that'll kickstart something for me. Well, I, um, I found that there's a lot of misinformation about voting by mail. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of myths and thoughts that are just not accurate. Um, voting fraud, I found, is really extremely rare in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to the politicians on the television recently, it's um, put out there that it's a huge concern for the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and voting by mail, I found, was no exception, that the fraud is extremely rare. In the past 20 years, over 250 million votes have been cast by mail, and that I found on data from the Heritage Foundation. And out of those there have been only 1,285 proven cases of voter fraud. And I think um, the key here is proven cases. And out of those, only 1,100 convictions for voter fraud. Wow. So that was something I, I thought was pretty interesting because in 2012, when you looked at the New York primary, it was July, oh no, not 2012, July of 2020. If you looked at the New York primary, um, there was several instances of ballots being disapproved for various reasons that could be considered fraud. So I just thought that was really interesting that we, we have such a vast array of information out there for the general public to 
research and then try to educate themselves? Well, you know, e even though there may be a small percentage chance of fraud, we, we have to remember that the way our election of a president is set up, it's electoral colleges. And that small percentage of one or 2% could make a difference. So we want to keep any chance of voter fraud or you know tampering or whatever you want to call it as minimal as possible. You know, with, with the COVID nineteen pandemic and and other concerns, it, it's it's going to put a lot more emphasis on the mail in voting or absentee voting. See, absentee voting is when you request a ballot be sent to you uh, that you will be unable to go to a polling site to cast your vote. Where mm -hmm. a mail-in, that's just a blanket send out to any and everybody and there's no way of knowing if it's the correct person or if the person's even eligible to vote. Now I have a strong feeling that everybody that meets the requirements to vote, should vote, and should have the accessibility. You know, that's something I want to be clear about, is that. Mm -hmm. And you hear talk about the post office not being able to handle the volume. And during this first presidential debate, they talked about some ballots may not be counted until a week later. You know, to, to me, that's that's something that needs to be changed when the time ends for voting all the mail-in or absentee ballots should be in and counted we should not wait till a week later to find out who wins the election now i went to the u.s postal site and was looking up some of their figures um they have a website um like I said, it's the U.S. Postal Service website where they give uh, facts or what they do in one day. Each day, the Postal Service processes and delivers 181 million pieces of first-class mail. That's an awful lot of mail. Um, if, if you look at the population and the amount of people that will vote absentee or, or mail-in. That can all be done in a short period of time. Um, you know, if the U.S. population is roughly 331 million people, all that mail could be delivered within a week easily, and that's even according um, to the president of the American Postal Workers Union, he said they could do it. It'd be, in his words, a piece of cake. So the, the tactic of saying the Postal Service couldn't handle it, I, I think, is an untrue statement. Mm -hmm. And I also think that if you can stand in line at the supermarket, a sporting event, or things like that, you could go to vote. If there was an, 
more effort put on finding out who needs assistance, maybe somebody to drive them or, or something like that, it would be more beneficial. You know, we've got, like you said earlier, four years to prepare for an election. We shouldn't be coming down a month before and saying we've got all these problems. Well, I, the one thing with your postal service um, point, what if the mail-in ballots were, had a deadline of the end of October to be postmarked the end of October in the mail, delivered to the postal service so they could be processed and added instead of having the question, have they been counted at the very end? How would that differ from me going and voting early? Well, and, and like, like I said earlier, th there needs to be, and Jessica said the same thing, there needs to be a process in place to take care of this. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's a timing factor. It, if you want to vote early, request your absentee ballot, they have a, a starting point. You know, there, there, there's a time that you, you have there to make sure your vote is in. It, it should be the same across the board. It should be standard requirements. And everyone should know that. If, if you know an election's coming up, you can get yourself registered to vote. You can get the identification you need. We're in, you know, a, a time frame where there's more computerized, more electronics. There, there, it's not like the old days where everything was done with paper. So we need to use technology to our advantage. Definitely. Um, I'm thinking like what you're saying, Dad, if we go back to the Voting Rights Act of 1965, this is basically when it was said that laws could not be put in place that um, disenfranchised minorities or laws could not be passed in regards to voting on a state level all had to be done through federal approval. And then shortly thereafter, that was overthrown uh, in the Supreme Court case of Shelby versus Hilder, or Hyder, sorry, which is kind of why we have this state by state process now. And I, we can go all the way back to George Bush and the hanging chads. I feel like every election for the last 22 years has had an issue because it's done on a state level without a federal oversight committee. And we're sitting here voting for the leader of our country and voting in a federal election without any formal regulation. And I've seen some states that have sent out mail-in ballots where the people just had to fold them over and tape them and basically turn their ballot into an envelope. But then other states require it to where they put a blank their ballot inside of an envelope inside of another envelope. Um, so with every single state having different ballots and different requirements, it, it's such a mess. This is true. Um, I was surprised to see how many states had different methods for casting your vote and, and how many states were actually mail-in only. Mm -hmm. I think out of all of our 50 states, there's six that are mail-in only. And have been for a while, right? Or at least like right. two elections? Right. And 
there's 11 states, I believe, I'm pulling that from memory, mind you, mm -hmm. that are, um, that have different methods of the mail-in system. And I think it does need to be more streamlined. We do live in a time where technology has its advantages, but then there's also the hackers that could get into anything. And if everybody voted, say perhaps we all went online and voted, that could be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the, uh, the flip side of that coin is if you look at the, the people that's saying it's going to be a, an issue or a problem for them to vote, you know, that, that's a big concern if people feel that way. But, you know, it goes back to an early comment that you, you have four years, you know, it's going to happen. So we need to get the states on, on the same line. Now I'm a person that hates for the federal government to tell state governments and their citizens what they have to do. But in an election process, there needs to be some continuity um, so that you do not have one state doing this or one state doing that. Well, it is a federal election and do you um, keep going back to, you know, if you can go vote in person, go vote in person. And what I think is going to happen with mail-in ballots or with coronavirus right now is that we're going to see a large percentage of our population disadvantaged. Um, if we go back to the 2018 Georgia election, Georgia is notorious for voter suppression and doing whatever they can to kind of sway the election. The 2018 um, governor election there in Georgia, the oversight, the head of the committee for the election was actually one of the candidates who ended up winning. But in this election, there was one county, Randolph County, where uh, it's 60% Blacks, and they closed seven out of nine of the polling places or tried to. And we're kind of seeing this now where a lot of polling places in minority or impoverished areas are being closed. And not only are the polling places being closed, but in those areas, the post office is pulling mailboxes. Now that's not because they're minority areas, it's because for years and years and years, the post office goes through and pulls boxes that are no longer uh, needed or used. And they've been doing that for forever. The fact that they're pulling boxes right now isn't a conspiracy against the election. But knowing that we might have to go into mail-in ballots and some people might not have a polling place near them because for whatever reason it has been closed, I think that they should leave those boxes, lock them until the election and then open them, or there needs to be boxes in place where people can drop their ballot. So, I mean, for example, um, when it comes to voting, areas that are heavily dominated by minorities in the US, their average wait is one hour. If an area is 90% white, the average wait is only six minutes. So somewhere along the line, either too many people are going to one polling station and we need to open up more, or there's not enough boxes to serve the community. And I think in Corona, that what we're gonna see because of the voting issues is people that don't feel safe 
or maybe have to work three jobs or um, they just simply are undecided and said, I'm not going to take the risk this year. They're not going to vote at all. We as a country have very low voter turnout. And I think we're going to possibly see the lowest turnout we've ever seen from two hot button candidates who can't get their shit together and voting challenges like mail-in ballots and close polling places and everything we're talking about right now. So how do we guarantee that every American has an equal opportunity to vote is another issue that I have. I feel like mail-in ballots can even that out a little bit, but the system is so imperfect that I don't even know if it would encourage those who normally wouldn't vote to vote in the first place. So, Well, you know, I, I look at that a, a little different. I, I, I don't think it's a minority or a black issue. I, I look at pockets of where people live. And if you, you do that, you look at areas where there are a high concentration of minorities and, and maybe they, do need to set up more polling areas. And that goes back to your governor and your mayor that's in the state that can control that. Voter now, suppression you- is a huge issue and it is statistically proven. So I don't know how we can say it's not a minority issue when voter suppression is already a known issue, especially in Georgia, like they don't even hide it. Uh, maybe it doesn't impact us so much in Indiana. And I think that, you know, in Indianapolis and especially you and I, dad, as we used to work the polls there in Bargersville, uh, we have a good voting system. So we've never experienced these weights and we've never experienced not having tons of places around us, but I'm not really wanting to fight whether or not there's a minority or race issue here, because I believe there is, you believe there isn't, we're going to have that every single time. Well, I just no, wonder. Really. But, but if you go back to knowing that you would have problems getting to the poll or there might be a, a, a longer wait, that is where preparedness comes in. And each party has boots on the ground. They have, what's called a walking list. It tells you the name of every person that's in a certain certain area, district. Those are the people that you need to go out and say, you need to vote absentee. And that way that person is guaranteed to have a vote cast. And once again, I go back to saying you can't get to a voting place. That is the fault of the people that represent you, they should mm-hmm. do more to make sure your voice is heard mm-hmm. than to say you're being suppressed. Well, then we, I mean, I would love in a future episode to talk to you about gerrymandering in the electoral college. Maybe we can do that next week and kind of piggyback off this issue. Um, so that way we don't get too far off track with mail and ballots. But if, I mean, people need, the opportunity to get to the polling places and polling places are closing down. So if we're closing polling places and trying to throw out mail and ballots, how in the world are people going to vote or even be encouraged to vote in the first place? And that's what I said. You go back to boots on the ground. 
you know, let's make it easier, not harder for these people to have their voice and their vote counted. And the way to do that and make sure your election and ballots are secure is the absentee balloting. Mm -hmm. That way you keep track of the people, you know where they're at. You you make contact. I, I get two or three phone calls or text messages a day from political. Both sides want either a donation or can you help? If they can do that, to me, they can go out and look at the people that need help and say, here, we will help you fill out forms. Let's get your vote counted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, there's also a lot of instances where people who have done this, um, there in the 2016 election, people were taking buses through minority communities, low-income communities as well, and um, putting people on a bus and taking them to registration and taking them to voting, and they would get arrested or denied entry. Um, you know, we can look at these cases in multiple, multiple states. So uh, it's we have an issue with voting in the US and I just don't understand how in the third most populous country compared to other nations, how we have it so wrong in the first place. Like I really don't think mail-in ballots are our lowest issue. I just, I am always flabbergasted, I guess, when it comes to an election and here we go again with more problems. Well, I feel like I haven't even recovered from the last election, and here I am facing another one. And I hate to say it, as conservative as I am, the um, last debate just left me in a debacle. Let's put it that way. It was the ugliest thing I think I've seen. And um, But going back to the mail-in ballot issue, I um, I have, I haven't done mail-in ballot, but I have cast my vote by an absentee ballot. Mm-hmm. And um, I know at the time I did that, the first time I did it, I thought, oh my goodness, I hope my vote counts. But I also felt like at least I had completed the form and sent it in and and I did my duty. In light of the pandemic and everyone's concern with healthcare, I will agree with your dad that if you can go to a sporting event, the grocery store, shopping for fun, mm-hmm. then you can get in a voting line and cast your ballot. Absolutely. At a at a booth. Don't use the pandemic as an excuse to not go vote. If you are concerned about your vote not counting, concerned about your vote ending up in in a stream or a lake somewhere because it was thrown away, then go to the polls. Mm -hmm. There's going to be mandates for safety. What you see in your doctor's offices, stay six feet away wear your mask, keep your fingers away from your nose, eyes, mouth, and use some common sense and cast your vote that way. That way you won't have the issues with mail and ballots. 
Well, just let, let me ask you, since we're talking about mail-in ballots, mm-hmm. do you think in, in the U.S. it should be just a blanket system where there is a ballot mailed out to every address and every person that lives at that address? Well, I don't know because people don't always update their address. So how do you know where the ballot goes unless the U.S. changed stricter address registration and stricter census data and death data and birth data. How do you know where the ballots go? And maybe that is up to the voter to put in that information by a certain date and get their ballot sent to them. Um, But the way that the U.S. operates right now and with so much kind of unknown, um, I don't think it would be a good idea now without other regulations put into place. And, and, and that is what I am saying. That, that's why mm-hmm. people need to know the difference between just blanket mailing and absentee voting. See, the absentee voting would make sure that person is at an address. It would make sure the person was legal to vote. And that would be the foundation. It may not be and, and there's no way they could do all that now with just 30 days or so before the election. But you can start now before the next election and have four years to get this in place. I just don't believe that they don't already have a contingency plan for a global emergency in the U.S. It, I just don't believe that they don't have one in place. And I feel like they just don't want to do it to create this whole safety fear-mongering fiasco that the election is rigged and it's going to be overtaken and you know it i just find the whole thing to be a lot of bs if i'm being honest um but if we go to mail-in ballots dad and mom what do you think we could do to make the system safe and trusting in 30 days do we even have an option to do anything in 30 days well, the, the unless you have just an army of people that are, number one, trustworthy and honest, that had electronic equipment to scan a driver's license or some other form of federal ID that says, this is the person, and, and do that, there, there's no way humanly possible to take care of that at this time. Mm -hmm. It's just too late. Sharon, what's your thoughts? Oh, I think at this point in time, it's too late to institute anything. And I think there probably is an emergency plan in place. I just am not sure that the general public is privy to it. Um, I do think that we need to pass some laws for prevention of voter suppression. I know Georgia has a bad history of um, not doing the right thing when it comes to the black vote. And um, I'm sure that the same thoughts and processes go into any any other race factors too. And I, and I don't want to make it a race thing, but you know, it is sad to, to think that 
that this goes on in our country. I think that some voters feel intimidated. I think we need to stop saying, I hate to make this a race thing, if it is a race thing. Some things are, some things aren't. And I don't think that we will ever know as in the three of us because we are white. We don't go to these areas. We don't have them closed. We don't have laws changed to disenfranchise us. We don't have laws put in place where say our last name is DeRubio and one place it's spelled D-E-R-U-B-I-O and another place the paperwork says D-E space R-U-B-I-O so we can't vote. Um, you know, there are laws in place that specifically target ethnic names, such as if a name has an umlaut or an accent in it and say that's not available in one computer and it's not registered, now that person cannot vote. So I think, you know, we do have to acknowledge that there are racial issues, even if they don't impact us and even if they might be what some in the conversation might consider small scale, it does impact the overall situation. Um, I think that would go more into the next conversation I want to have about like gerrymandering in the electoral college. And I don't know necessarily if that would impact mail-in ballots if it was done properly. I kind of feel like maybe mail-in ballots might give some disenfranchised members of the community, whether they're impoverished or um, elderly or possibly incapacitated in some way, I think that this opens up the door for them to vote in a way they might not be aware of. Um, but again, how do we make sure they're authentic and how do we make sure they're being counted? Uh, we can look at Pennsylvania where, I don't know if it was an intern or if it was a temporary employee, but somebody quote unquote accidentally threw out boxes of Trump votes and they were found. And I think with that one instance, that, creates a big issue and helps to shed light on problems as well as cast doubt on the system. Um, so then again, we'd have to look at how do we count how many ballots were sent out versus come in, put in a margin for how many people probably won't send it in and make sure everything's counted. Um, well, it's you know, just crazy. It is. Um, but I will say you have to also put some of the responsibility on the voter. Mm -hmm. They need to check that voter registration. And if it's incorrect, they need to get that fixed as soon as possible. Don't wait until a week before the election. Um, there's a timeline for all of this. So as a citizen, you have a right to vote, but you also have the need to make sure that the information is correct prior to going to the polls. Mm -hmm. We do have a right to vote. And by being a citizen, it's almost like our duty to make sure our country operates well by casting our vote. And I'm mm -hmm. always amazed at how low voting rates are in the U.S. compared to other places where I've lived. And, um, you know, I'll never forget being in Uganda one time during one of the last elections and somebody said to me, do you vote? And I said, yeah. And he said, but a lot of Americans don't. And I said, no. And he was just blown away that we have free and quote unquote fair open elections and people choose not to vote. Um, that's another tangent for another day though. <laughs> no, but I understand that. It's one of the greatest rights that we've been given and there are people who choose not to, to use that. 
And when I hear somebody arguing politically about something, my first question to them is, did you vote? And mm -hmm. if they say no, then I say, then don't even argue the point with me. Yeah. Well, Jess, you said um, something about voter suppression. Um, that goes back to politicians and doing what's best in their interest instead of what's best in the interest of the people that they represent. And until there's some fundamental changes in the people that keep voting these officials into office, there'll, there'll always be this happening. Now, the comments you made about names being spelled different or something changed, that goes back to the human aspect, that person that entered that information. Was it an accident or did they do it on purpose? That's the other part of the integrity of the system mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed also. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree that there's definitely an integrity issue that impacts a lot of people and we need to make sure everybody's vote counts for sure. It's, it's such, you know, like we've already said, such a great privilege and we're so lucky to be in the system that we have where we can vote without, you know, fear of our life or relatively without high corruption. I mean, obviously there's corruption. Um, there's, but, I think there's been corruption from the first time we ever elected a president. Mm -hmm. And I think there will always be corruption. Um, but it's not like where, like when I lived in Uganda, we hired extra guards. We locked the house down and, you know, people would get shot for voting for the wrong party. So we don't have to worry about something like that or things that have happened recently in like Brazil and Venezuela. So relatively, I think we're not in danger for voting or we get swayed easily impacted by, you know, internal corruption and political rhetoric, um, but we don't have to fear for our life. Mm -hmm. So, well, let me ask you, Jess, while we're talking about mail-in voting, mm -hmm. let, let's take just a, a short step into the future. You know, okay. and as we get into more millennials uh, and the computer age, uh, I thought a little bit ahead to see how this kind of voting that's not in person would affect upcoming elections, you know, on a local, state, or national scene. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an article from the, um, and this was a January 30th of uh, 2019 article uh, from the Pew Research. Uh, and it says generational shifts. In 2020, nearly a quarter of the electorate, that's 23%, will be 65 or older. That's the highest such share since at least 1970. Mm -hmm. This reflects a maturity of the baby boomer generation. Uh, there's also an increased life expectancy. Baby boomers and older generations who will be ages 56 and older are expected to account for fewer than 40% of the voters this year. 
you know, that's, that's a big change from 2000 when nearly 70% were boomers. Silent members of the greatest generation, those ages 36 and older, you know, there, there's a change. Even as recently as 2012, the youngest baby boomer was 48 years old. That group were about half of the electorate at that time. The next presidential election, which will be this year, will be the first time that millennials will count for a slightly smaller share of the electorate than they represented in the last election. The raw number of millennials eligible to vote is increasing due to foreign-born millennials becoming naturalized and citizens. Even with that said, the millennial share of the electorates has peaked since they're not growing as fast as electorals overall. Now, this is the part that I found, you know, interesting. The leading edge of Generation Z, that's the generation that follows you, mm -hmm. that'll be ages 18 to 23 this year, is projected to compromise one in 10 eligible voters. That's up 4% since the last election in 2016. Okay. As Generation Z grows, they are growing up in the computer age where it's their phones, a laptop. Will they be casting votes online? Will that be the next step instead of the mail-in be voting electronically you know that that's a little outside of this topic but it's something to consider it it definitely is and this is where i'm on that fence you know growing up without the internet um not having internet in high school barely having internet in college the first time the thought of voting online or in an app i think is somewhat scary um i would do it here in germany because everything is so multi 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 layers of verification and data we take data very very seriously here monitor it approve it etc um maybe they will be maybe somebody will get it figured out by then i i don't know i don't know either um the United States populace is, is so much greater and the mindset for things like this is different, I believe, too, than comparing to Germany. Mm -hmm. It would be nice to be able to have this sort of system in place. Mm -hmm. I wonder sometimes if it would go against our free speech, you know, free freedom of enterprise. Yeah, it's, that's a hard subject. Um, and, and I know we don't have a, a lot of time left. Um, I just want to take a few minutes and, and add something. We talked about the importance of voting mm -hmm. and that everybody's voice and their vote counts. Um, I went on a website, military.com. There's an article by Blake Stilwell, and it talks about when absentee voting 
first happened. And that goes all the way back to the Civil, Civil War. And, it, and if you look at what absentee ballot was originated for, it was so that the soldiers could vote and have their voice, voice heard. Um, you know, that, that, you know, it goes back to 1864 or five, but by President Lincoln's vote, you know, the absentee ballot from the soldiers helped him win the election. If he had not won the election, you wouldn't have the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863. That date is right. But when Lincoln got elected, that actually led to the freeing of slaves. So absentee balloting and having everybody voices heard helped lead to Lincoln being able to free the slaves. So that, that is the importance of absentee voting and having everybody's vote count. Mm -hmm. I, I found that real interesting that if you go back and look from the very start of absentee voting, the impact it had from the first time it was ever used was, was really fascinating to me. Well, I think everybody has the right to vote and I think everybody should exercise that right, use the method that's most appropriate for them. Don't do mail-in voting as um, a first resort without considering some of the other options that might be a little more secure. Uh, as you can tell, I don't have a lot of confidence in the mail-in vote yet. The absentee vote doesn't bother me, but the actual mail-in vote where it's more of a solicited um, type action, that is where I have some concerns. Well, that's the, the only thing I would disagree with that statement, you said everybody. I say, I don't think everybody should vote. I think citizens should vote. Now, I'm on the fence about felons voting. If you're a felon, you've done a, something really bad, either to a person of society or something that was horrific enough for you to be a felon. You know, I, I know there's some states, especially Florida right now, it's a big controversy about felons voting. Mm -hmm. and, and once they, and, and this is where I struggle back for it, if they pay their due to society and come back in as a citizen in good standing, they should probably have that right to vote. But if you're still incarcerated and you still are paying your debt to society, I don't think they should have that right. Well, and I agree with you. So with that thought, I'm going to clarify my statement and remove everybody. I think every United States citizen in good standing should um, exercise their right to vote. Mm. Um, yeah, so definitely for sure, like, citizens, um, obviously, um, 
the felon issue for me is a tough one because I think that the judicial system is so full of miscarriages of justice so often that a lot of people are unfairly tacked with that title. And I don't agree with poll tax concepts either. I actually just um, logged into a great website that I will uh, put into the show comments and help some people pay their poll taxes in order to help them vote. Um, so I'm kind of, I think that's a different issue for another day as well. We could do three or four episodes in a row about voting. <laughs> and it's important, you know, it's an election year and it's something that I think the more we talk about, the more um, other people might want to talk about it as well. And I think everybody does need to be encouraged to vote. Um, I've seen a meme going around that says, stop telling me to vote on every social media channel. I've been registered since I was 18. Well, good for you, but a lot of people haven't. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we need to vote. Um, I'm curious to know, while you were doing your research for this, did your opinion change? Or did you find that the information that you found kind of supported what you already were thinking? Or did anything surprise you in your research process? Well, like I say, for, for me, some, some things came to light, like the, the absentee voted where it started and how it played a big role in freeing the slaves. It, it's like any topic that you start researching, mm -hmm. you find things of importance that you didn't know. It, it helped me agree on facts that every vote from eligible voters, we need to find a way to get that counted and cast and counted. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't find anything that would support a way to do it. And that's a disheartening fact, you know, that we live in an age where you can go on Google and find anything out about anybody we we just watched a show last night of how there's companies that just mine information that they can feed into politicians mm -hmm. where they can target certain sectors with certain ads if we can do that if and i think it they had five thousand bits of information on each person that's on social media if, if we can have companies do that we can have companies that know who's eligible to vote and target those people the same way that hey let's get out get them ready and do that and let the people that can vote vote and let their voice be heard mm -hmm. yeah guess what i teach in university dad i teach people how to run those ads using all that data <laughs> That, that goes back to that subject. If we can use you as an example that you teach that, mm -hmm. then we should be able to likewise use that information to reach the people that are the most needing of help. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Unfortunately, I think those that might be in the most need of help also have the least amount of access to technology and internet and 
you know, even things like electronic in a lot, in a lot of cases. So I think there's a lot of work to be done um, in society in general and opportunities that maybe we've brought up. So if anyone listening does have additional feedback or ideas or thoughts about this, uh, you know, definitely reach out to us at info at I'm right podcast, um, dot com or I'm right podcast on any social media channels. Um, mom, did you have anything that shocked you, surprised you while you were doing your research? I was surprised when the first absentee ballot came into place. I thought it was kind of a new concept. And when I found out it went as far back as the Civil War, I was that really sparked some interest in me. And, and I started digging a little bit more to educate myself. And then I was kind of ashamed that I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I don't think they taught that in school. If they did, it's something that I forgot. But um, it, some of the things that I kind of unearthed were in myself were just more concerns about the solicited type paper ballot um, and how, how it's performed and the impact that it can have in the election. And I just still, being the person I am, feel more comfortable, I think, going to an actual booth and voting. I, I didn't feel swayed to go a step further and do a paper. I'm comfortable with absentee, but I'm just not totally comfortable with the mail-in ballot. And I, I, what also shocked me, I can see the mail-in ballot for Hawaii and even Alaska, but we're talking about Colorado, Oregon, and there's another state that I'm forgetting here that they are completely mail-in ballot. Mm -hmm. And that, I was a little taken back by that. And I wondered why, what, what was the thought in the state's government that made them go that path? Did you find the answer to that or? No, I didn't. I, um, I, I did not research that any further. It was just a question to myself. Mm -hmm. But it is something that I'm going to look into in the future. Yeah, I know there's a good YouTube video with the uh, governor of Oregon um, talking about why they went to mail-in ballots. Um, but it's not one that I actually wrote down or used for this, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, I had such a trouble finding information because of data protection and a lot of the U.S. sites that I couldn't access um, and relying kind of heavily on YouTube videos and other people's research that they've done that I could access. I still just stand my ground that I don't think mail-in ballots are the end-all be-all for the entire country. Um, I agree that people should be able to go to the polling places. You know, if you're able to go to the grocery store, you should be able to vote. And I just think the system is completely broken and that we should be ashamed of ourselves and our elected leaders for doing this to us every year. Um, and we should push to get it fixed. So 
What do you guys think about uh, next week talking about that electoral college and whether or not you support it? Well, I, I think it, it piggybacks um, this, you know, that if you're, you're going to vote, then you have to see how your vote is counted. Um, you know, it, and it, it's the popular vote or it's the electoral college. So I, I think it'd be a good subject. I agree. All right. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to talking to you guys about that next week and seeing what comes up. Um, thank you, you know, so much for all the information you guys found and your thoughts. I think it's such an important topic and I'm sure a lot of people out there will find something in here that they agree with, maybe some new information that opens their eyes, or maybe they'll have a really great idea that they want to send in to us as well. And if you have ideas for the show, other things you want us to debate, by all means, please send those to us as well. So this has been episode four of the podcast, You Know I'm Right. I'm Jessica. I'm Sharon. And I'm Dale. And those are my parents here to debate with you every single week. Episodes go live on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you can wake up and listen to us as soon as you're getting ready for work. So um, guys, have a great day and we'll get on there next week about that electoral college. All right. Sounds good. <laughs>